okay. Can I control it yet? I still cannot. Okay, never mind. Okay, uh, if you are familiar with the, the board game Monopoly, uh, this, this should be a very familiar site. How many of you have played Monopoly before? Okay, la, almost the whole world. La. If, it, if it's not something you yourself seek out on your own, it's something that, I don't know, your kids or your grandkids will bunk you to play or whatever. So we are, pretty much most of us are very familiar with Monopoly. And you know that it's a very simple game, right? You roll the dice, you see where you land, you buy the property. When you have enough property within the same color, you can charge more rent if people land on your space or uh, it will, you, know, you can build houses or you can build hotels. Thank you. And then uh, that will make the value go exponentially up. Yeah. So it's a very simple game, but it's also a very brutal game. It's a very cruel game because friendships can be lost because of Monopoly. If you, okay, so many people say they play Monopoly. How many of you actually finished a game of Monopoly before? Until there was one winner. <laughs> Much less. Okay, if you've ever finished a game of Monopoly, you know that once you start losing, once you start running out of money, you end up having to mortgage your properties, redeem a little bit of money, you cannot get rent anymore when people land on that space. And so you, you, you end up paying more rent, you collect less rent, you mortgage more and more properties until you finally go bankrupt. So it's a very steep decline. Okay, once you start losing, you lose very hard. But before that happens, people will usually start haggling. Right? They'll start bargaining with each other for their high-value property and they say, okay, uh, you lay on my space, you owe me this much, but you don't pay me, you give me your property. Lah. Okay? You give me this one where it's very valuable. See, mortgage already, you cannot earn anything. You might as well give to me. Then they can redeem it. So uh, a lot of people will, will end up haggling and then they'll, they'll sell off property that is worth much more than what uh, they're getting. Uh, next slide, please. So for example, the dark blue property. Okay, you can't read it here, but this is Park Lane and Mayfair. Uh, the US version is Park Place, uh, Boardwalk. Okay. These are the very, 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 very valuable properties that people will always hang on to. No one in their right mind will sell these properties, okay? Because once a person has a full set, it just takes two, they, they build houses or hotels or whatever, you can earn ridiculous amounts of monopoly money if people land there. It's almost like guaranteed game over, okay? So usually when people pick up Mayfair or Park Place, other people say, hey, hey, let me buy, let me buy. I buy from you. Nah, this, is, this is how much I want to give you. And they will always, almost always, they will say, no, no way. I'm never going to sell this. You know, I, no matter what happens, I will never sell it. But if that person is losing and they have no means of income, all their properties are mortgaged, they are stuck, no way to pay without going bankrupt. They are desperate enough they've run out of cash, then they might end up selling that property as a last-ditch effort to stay in the game okay, and not go bankrupt. Now, today we are looking at King Saul, and he, at this point, is making this last-ditch effort to 
compromise on something that he has uh, been against. He's making this desperate, large-ditch effort near the end of his reign as king of Israel. So if Saul's life was like a Monopoly game, he was about to go bankrupt. Lah. Okay, that's where he was. Next slide, please. And so that brings me to our big idea for today. Let's... Red light is blinking. It's going blink, blink, blink. <laughs> uh, help me change, please. Okay. So that brings me to our big idea for today's message that choices made in desperation reveal the contents of our heart. Okay, so that's our takeaway message. If you forget everything that we say, uh, that, that I say today, it's this statement. Choices made in desperation reveal the contents of our heart. Uh, we're reaching the tail end of the book of 1 Samuel. So for those of you who are joining us uh, for the first time, or maybe you joined us in the middle of the year or something, we are actually on a series of going through the book of 1 Samuel. Okay? And after this, we, uh, when we finish 1 Samuel, we'll move over into a New Testament book, which is the book of Acts. And that's very soon. Uh, actually, I, I, I was hoping, <laughs> as I was doing the schedule, I was hoping that we'll be able to line up Pentecost today with the actual events of Pentecost in the book of Acts, but couldn't, lah. couldn't without compromising too much uh, and, and removing too many passages. So we will come to the event of Pentecost in a couple of weeks' time. But we're at the end, nearing the end of 1 Samuel, and the last few chapters of 1 Samuel is leading up to a great battle between the Philistines and the Israelite army. So the Philistines have their rulers, about five city-states, and units of hundreds and thousands, the Bible describes. And then you have the Israelite army under King Saul. Next slide. David, at this point, is among the ranks of the Philistines as a sort of mercenary, okay? Uh, if you remember, when he was fleeing Saul, he went over to the Philistines because that's where Saul wouldn't pursue him, lah, okay? And so David has a base in a place called Ziklag, and he is expected to join the battle uh, between the Philistines and the Israelites uh, on the Philistine side. He, the, the Philistines, or at least the Achish, the, the Philistine ruler that he was under, uh, was expecting him to go into battle together with them against the Israelites, David's own people. But the Philistines would decide to send him back later. Uh, we know from Brother Chong Jin's message last week, David was never set against Israel. Although he went to the Philistines to, to, to flee from Saul, he, he only went against Israel's enemies during this time of supposed Philistine servitude. He, did, he was not loyal to the Philistines. He did not fight against the Israelites on behalf of the Philistines. So David was always loyal towards God's people, even when the ruler, which was King Saul, was hunting him down to kill him. But that's what we know from David's side. But if you put yourself in the shoes of Saul, all he knows is that his greatest enemy, the Philistines, 
and now his greatest rival, David, are teaming up together. That's what he knows. His spies will have told him David has gone over to the Philistines. Oh no, now there's an there's a army assembling against us. David is making his way there. So in Saul's perspective, his enemy, his rival, teaming up together against him. And remember, David slain his tens of thousands uh, versus Saul's thousands in his mind. And so they're all coming to crush him. And so when we come to verse 5 of today's passage in, in chapter 28, it shows us how Saul is desperate, you know, and his desperation reveals something in his heart, something that we are very familiar with by now, and that is his fear. We are very familiar by now that Saul is a fearful man. That is one of the recurring themes that has been popping up as we preach through the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, 1 Samuel 28, uh, verse 5, tells us that when Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. Uh, in fact, this is very similar to uh, something that we saw earlier. If you remember, the very first time the Bible records that Saul disobeyed the Lord, he offered up the burnt offering without Samuel against his instructions. Uh, in, in Next slide. Remember how Saul and his troops were quaking with fear, right? And so that is the same Hebrew word as the one used in today's passage, verse 5, to describe the terror that filled God's heart. Uh, sorry, that filled Saul's heart. His heart was quaking with fear, literally quaking. Next slide. And so this time, Saul tries to inquire of the Lord. He wants to ask God, okay, what should I do? But the Lord did not answer him by dreams or urim or prophets. I found this very interesting. It specifies that God did not answer Saul, not just that God did not answer Saul, but he did not answer Saul these three ways, by these three ways, by dreams, urim or prophets. Now, these were very common ways that people of that era would seek God during that time. Next slide. Firstly, dreams. According to a Bible commentator, uh, it was common for, for what were known as incubation rituals to happen. And so basically what, what that is, is when a person seeking information from a God uh, would go to a sanctuary and sleep there or sleep near some sacred object or a sacred relic or whatever, so that, that God could speak to them in a dream. Okay? That, that was one way that they tried to seek the, the will of their God. Next slide. Secondly, Urim. We've talked about the Urim and Tumim a few times before. Uh, these are stones that are used to cast lots to give you a yes or no answer. But they are operated not it's not just anyone who can take these, these stones and like roll dice like that. Uh, they are only to be operated by the priests, okay? And so you remember how Saul had wiped out a whole town of priests in Nob? And Abiathar, the priest who survived the attack, was now with David, not with Saul. And so Saul no longer has access to this Urim and Tumim. Uh, even if he had replicas made, you know, the priests aren't there to, to operate it. Next slide. Lastly, prophets. 
we know that the prophet Samuel is dead by now. Okay, our passage tells us that. But there were other prophets. Saul himself joined the company of prophets uh, in prophesying in chapter 10. But the last prophet that we see in 1 Samuel is the prophet Gad. And we see him going to David just before the priest town of Nob is wiped out. So it's likely that if there were any prophets around other than Samuel and Gad, uh, they would have spoken up against that or they would have fled or whatever. Uh, Saul would have banished them when they, when they spoke up against that. And so very likely there were no prophets left around Saul because of the path that he had chosen. And so Saul was left in a very desperate situation. He's terrified of the Philistines. He perceives that his greatest rival, who is much greater than him, uh, is, has joined forces with them. He no longer has access to God, and God is the only one who had made his victories against the Philistines possible before. And so the choice that Saul makes in this desperate moment reveals his great fear in his heart. Next slide. At this point, I just want to highlight something. We know that David was a man after God's heart. Right? He's not a perfect man, but he's a man who sought God. If you read the Psalms, you see that he spent lots of time worshipping the Lord, spending time meditating on His Word, uh, pursuing God. Even after sinning greatly against God, he fasted and sought the Lord. And so, David really was just seeking God all the time. Next slide. But for Saul, each time he's, we find him, each time we see him seeking the Lord in the Bible, it's always for some purpose. Okay, there's always an agenda. If you look through 1 Samuel, you comb through, and you see where, where it says that Paul, uh, sorry, Saul sought the Lord or inquired of the Lord, or even prayed to the Lord, uh, it was to gain God's favor for battle against the Philistines. It was to get advice of what to do next after seeing the Philistine army uh, being, being routed. It was to find out whether to pursue the Philistines or not, or it was to find out who within his camp had sinned and was causing God to not answer him about whether to pursue the Philistines or not. And so every time he interacted with God and tried to inquire of him according to what is recorded in the Bible, it was always with that purpose, that agenda of, okay, God, I'm looking for you so that I can solve my problem. I'm looking for you so that I can get out of this situation or so that I can uh, advance my kingdom. And so, in today's passage, in chapter 28, again, Saul is inquiring of the Lord. And we know it's because the Philistine army has assembled against him. He is afraid. He is inquiring of the Lord about the Philistine threat, how to defeat them. Okay, that's definitely his motive. Next slide. And so, to Saul, God was a means to an end. Until the end of his life, Saul was not seeking God's heart. All he ever wanted was God's help, 
God's blessing in desperate times, at least from what is recorded in 1 Samuel. Now, some of us might be able to identify with that. You know, many of us, we turn to God during desperate times. And that's okay. Okay, that's, that's okay. Next slide. The prophet Ezekiel tells the people of Israel in Ezekiel 20, 39, Go and serve your idols, every one of you. But afterward, you will surely listen to me and never and no longer profane my holy name with your gifts and idols. And so, God uses many different ways to get our attention, okay? And a very common one is when God allows us to go our own way, whether it's against Him or whether it's uh, not according to His ways. He allows us, okay, fine, you insist, you go that way. He allows us to go our own way until we find that, hey, we've dug ourselves into a pit that is too deep for us to climb out of without God's help. Okay, and a lot of times, uh, God works that way, all right? And we finally turn to Him out of sheer desperation because we have no other options, okay? That, that is a way that God does get our attention. But once God gets our attention, once we know Him, our relationship dynamic with Him needs to shift and continuous fellowship with Him should become our objective, our end goal. God should no longer be just a means to protect us against our fears or to give us access to what we desire. Next slide. Once God reveals Himself to us, we should not keep Him in a bottle on a shelf like a genie, okay? just calling on Him whenever we really need Him. And so the Christian faith is really all about an ongoing, intimate love relationship with a living God who loves us deeply and is very interested in every aspect of our lives, not only when we seek Him when we are desperate. And so let's pause for a moment for our first reflection question. What was your motive for seeking God the last time you looked to Him? Okay, just something for us to ponder upon. When was the last time you sought God for the sake of seeking Him? That you sought Him for Him, not because you wanted something out of Him. And for the kids, when was the last time you prayed to God and why? And parents, you can take this opportunity to teach a simple prayer of praise and adoration, seeking God for the sake of seeking Him. You can start the timer.
Okay, in Saul's desperation, he resorts to something that he himself had outlawed previously. And so that reveals the next thing in his heart, that he had the willingness to go to any lengths to get what he needed, even if it went against his own words. Next slide. Uh, verses 3 and 9 in today's passage, passage tells us that Saul had expelled or cut off uh, the mediums and spiritists from the land. And so this had been done earlier, okay, probably near the beginning of, of Saul's reign as king when he was still zealous for the Lord, especially when Samuel, the prophet Samuel, was still around uh, to guide him, to give him advice. And so, by Saul's own word, by his own law, it was not legal for any mediums or spiritists to remain in the land. And during the time of the kings, it was common that a king's law is so binding that even the king himself could not undo it. Okay, we see that with King Xerxes in, in the book of Esther, right, in Esther's story. Uh, plus, Saul is a king who cared very much about his face. He cared very much about what people thought of him, his own people. And so he could not openly go against his own decrees. And so Saul asked his attendants, people who are closer to him, he asked them, find me a woman who is a medium so I may go and inquire of her. And then the attendants tell him, they've done it. They've managed to find a woman who's not so big and not so small. She's a medium. Okay, uh, for, for those who got that joke, I'm sorry. Uh, thank you for paying attention. For those who didn't get that joke, it's okay. It's not important. Uh, but the attendants tell Saul that they have located such a person, this medium, uh, in a town of Endor. Uh, just very quickly, I, I just want to point out a little bit of trivia here because I've been drawing so many Star Wars parallels throughout <laughs> First Samuel. Uh, I promise you I'm not making this up. Next slide. Darth Vader, he meets his end near a place called the Forest Moon of Endor. Okay, and his funeral was held there. Uh, apparently, the reason, the reason why is because George Lucas, the creator of Star Wars, drew a lot of inspiration for names and concepts from the Bible, okay, among other sources. Okay, uh, not important, just a little bit of trivia. In case you're wondering, hey, I heard this name before, huh? Endor, it seems familiar. Uh, now you know where you've heard it before, Star Wars. Okay, next slide. So, Saul heads to Endor, which is a town about four kilometers away from where the Philistines are camped. And that's probably why he went in disguise at night, okay? Not just to avoid being recognized as a king, breaking his own laws, but also to avoid the Philistines who are patrolling the area nearby. So Saul goes with two of his men to meet this woman in Endor. Now, Endor is one of those towns where the, the local Canaanites had not been driven out when Joshua conquered the land. And so, the inhabitants, the Canaanites, lived among the Israelites who had occupied that town. And so, perhaps, this woman was a Canaanite, and she recognizes that these men are Israelites. 
And so she tells them, why are you asking me to do something illegal? Don't you know that Saul has outlawed all the mediums and spiritists in this land? Are you trying to entrap me? All right. Next slide. And Saul swears to her by the name of the Lord that she will be protected so that she can break the law. Uh, this verse is so full of irony because God, uh, sorry, Saul is invoking God's name in order to convince her to go against not just Saul's law, but God's law. And so Saul is telling the woman, by the name of the Lord, you can go ahead and break God's law. Next slide. Uh, other than the, the many places where the, the law in the Old Testament condemns sorcery, witchcraft, occult, divination, here in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 11, the law specifically condemns mediums and spiritists. And these are the exact same Hebrew words that are used to refer to, to uh, mediums and spiritists in today's passage in chapter 28. Next slide. Leviticus 19.31, again, mediums and spiritists, same word, prohibiting exactly what Saul is doing. The law says, do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, You'll be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. And that's what Saul does. He is turning to mediums and spiritists. But because Saul insists, the woman asks him, okay, fine. Who do you want me to bring up? And Saul answers, Samuel. And so what appears to be Samuel, a ghostly figure wearing a robe, comes up and the woman freaks out a bit because she guesses that you know, the one looking for Samuel uh, at that time is King Saul. And so she guesses that this, you are Saul. Uh, oh no, now I've broken the law, I'm going to die. Uh, Saul tells her, don't be afraid. And so the, the figure of Samuel speaks to Saul. And he gives him basically, instead of giving him advice and direction and how to defeat the Philistines, he gives him a prophecy of doom. He tells him, Again, he repeats the same thing that he had told him much earlier when uh, God had rejected Saul as king. He tells him the kingdom is torn from, from you. It, back then he said, the kingdom is torn from you to be given over to an, your neighbor who is better than you. This time Samuel specifies David. Okay? This neighbor who is better than you is David. And so Saul's worst fears are concerned confirmed. And then Samuel also tells him, Saul and his sons would be killed the next day, and the Israelites would be defeated by the Philistines. We'll see in a couple of weeks' time that this is exactly what happens. Next slide. Yeah, so what is going on here? Sorry, previous one. Yeah. What's going on here? Was Samuel really summoned from the dead? Well, the Hebrew word that the NIV translates as medium, uh, literally it means necromancer, okay? Somebody who summons the dead or interacts with the dead. And the Bible refers to such acts uh, with other words like divination and sorcery. And this branch of the occult is really about trying to, to uh, 
get the dead to communicate with or somehow influence the realm of the living. And this practice in the ancient Near East, that area during that time, actually contains quite a few parallels with the Taoist practice of ancestor worship. So as I was researching, I saw actually a, quite, quite a lot of uh, common parallels. But for most of the Old Testament, the Israelites believed in something called Sheol. Okay? Sheol is the, the place of the dead, uh, a subdued place of the dead where both the righteous and unrighteous will go after death. And so that's what uh, they, they understood and believed. And so they would have thought that, okay, Samuel is coming out of this Sheol to speak to Song. But was this really Samuel from the dead? Uh, everything that the ghostly figure said about Saul was true. It would end up happening. The Bible also refers to this ghostly figure as Samuel. It, it, it names him as Samuel. But it's also the only time that something like this is mentioned in the entire Bible. And so I think the frustrating answer for us is that just based on this incident alone, we can't be sure. We can't be sure if this is really the same Samuel as the one who had died and was now communicating with Saul. We can't be sure whether this maybe was a vision given by God, but resembling what Saul was expecting. We can't be sure whether this is a spirit, some other spirit pretending to be Samuel, but compelled to tell the truth by God. Uh, or we can't be sure whether this is actually the spirit of Samuel himself brought back to the land of the living for that just that one time. We don't know. All we know is to Saul and to the woman, they believed that they were seeing and they were communicating with Samuel. Now, does this mean that we can expect God to speak to us through the dead? or to interact with them in the same way, since this sets a precedent, huh, since it's in the Bible? Well, no, okay, because what Saul was doing is very clearly wrong. Next slide. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 13, very clearly looks back at this incident and it records that Saul was sinning against God by what he did, by consulting a medium and calling Samuel out. We also know from the New Testament that those who die in Christ proceed immediately to the Lord's presence in heaven. And those who die without Christ head straight to judgment as well. Meaning that the spirits of those who die don't linger around in some intermediate state to wait to interact with the living. Next slide. But the spiritual realm is still very real. And Satan is a deceiver. And so ghosts and other appearances of humans who have died are very likely evil spirits in disguise. Now let me just quickly add here that if you're the sort of person who gets spooked by the mere thought of evil spirits or demonic activity and you know just listening about this, your hair starts standing, uh, uh, let me assure you that God is greater than any demon. 
God is greater than any evil spirit. Those who have given their life to Jesus have also received the Holy Spirit, right? And that's what we're celebrating at Pentecost. God is in us. He is greater than anything outside, okay? So, if your life is in Christ, you have nothing to fear. Next slide. God in you is greater than the devil. God in you is greater than any evil spirit in the world. Now, this is a good time for us to pause for our second reflection question. How does the presence of Jesus in your life give you courage and peace amidst the reality of the spiritual realm? Okay, and for the kids, is God stronger than anything you're afraid of? And parents can use this opportunity to pray for any fears that your child may have. Okay, let's spend two minutes. Okay, let's look at the last thing about Saul's heart that his desperation revealed. Uh, earlier I mentioned how I found it interesting that the Bible specifies that God did not answer Saul in three specific ways, by dreams, urim, or prophets. Next slide. In verse 15, Saul tells the figure of uh, Samuel something... Uh, Saul tells the figure of Samuel something similar, okay? That God had departed from him, he no longer answers him, either by prophets or by dreams. No need to say Urim because, you know, the priests are not with him. So, because of that, Saul has called on Samuel to tell him what to do, 
because God is not answering him by these ways, he has come to Samuel, tell him what to do. And I find this interesting because Saul's response to not getting an answer the way he expects is to not keep asking, but instead to go and look for Samuel. Okay, he doesn't continue to seek the Lord and he is also not satisfied to just have God be silent and not get an answer. Instead, he seeks out Samuel in a way that violates what he clearly knows is against God's will and not what God would want. And so if he was seeking God, going about it this way definitely wouldn't be what God wants. And so, next slide. Saul's desperation reveals that his hope is not in God alone. Saul's hope actually extended beyond God to Samuel or pretty much whatever could address his fears. Think about it. If your hope is in God alone, then what do you do when God is silent? Nothing, right? You continue waiting on Him because your hope is in Him alone. Or maybe you try searching other ways you might be able to hear Him, but you definitely don't seek Him by doing something that you know he hates. Now, although God spoke to his people mainly through prophets during the time of the Old Testament, that's not the only way. Next slide. God was still a personal God. He still pursued a relationship with each of his people. We know the Urim and Tumim was another way that God spoke to his people, but there were also other ways like the appearances of angels of the Lord, uh, visions, a burning bush, a wet or dry fleece, an audible voice, a donkey, many different ways that God spoke to his people, all different ways that he communicated with his people in the Old Testament. And so God was not limited strictly to these three ways that Saul had inquired of him. And so Saul said, okay, I tried inquiring the usual way I know. I tried this one, I tried this one, I tried this one. Tajadi, okay, means God is not going to answer. But the point I want to emphasize is not about how the message is transmitted or even what the message is. My point is about the message giver. When our hope is in God and we're absolutely dependent on Him, then we cannot compromise our relationship with Him. And so that means being holy and set apart from the ways of the world. It means persevering in prayer when He has not answered us according to His will. It means not being satisfied by worldly solutions that are clearly at odds with God's teaching. Next slide. First Chronicles 10.14 says that Saul did not inquire of the Lord. And the writer condemns Saul for this. And so, some of you may be thinking, eh, today's passage says that Saul inquired of the Lord. So, why would this writer say that Saul did not inquire of the Lord? Well, the Hebrew word used for inquire here in 1 Chronicles 10 is different from the one used for inquire in 1 Samuel 28, verse 6. Next slide. 
In 1 Samuel 28, the Hebrew word used for this inquire comes from the, the word sha'al, okay, which is a more casual sort of asking or consulting. It can be re- translated as requesting or even demanding, okay, trying to gain information in a very casual way, like, you know, give me the knowledge, let me know, uh, tell me, okay. Next slide. But First Chronicles chapter 10, the, the, the Hebrew word for this word inquire here comes from the word darash. And this means to pursue or to seek out in a very diligent and persistent way. So not just to ask, not just to request, but to seek and to keep seeking. And so Saul's hope was not in God. He went through the rituals of asking, but he did not truly seek him, unlike David, who was a man after God's heart. Next slide. Saul depended on what he knew and whatever he could do. And whenever we are limited by only what we know and only what we can do, then we know we are not truly depending on God. We are depending on ourselves. And so with that, let's look at our last question for today. Next slide. Yeah. Who do you depend on when you're desperate? And how do you know? And for the kids, who do you go to when you're in trouble? Why? Okay, let's reflect on this. conclusion, I'd like you to know that the choices made in desperation reveal the contents of our hearts. I'd like you to be secure and fearless in your identity as a follower of Jesus 
in the face of evil and do seek God purely for a love relationship with Him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.